0: And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Slayer X. You can find those good folks at www.slayerx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at slayrx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRX for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor.
1: And my name's Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father to three teenagers, an engineer, and the husband to a
0: beautiful wife, Melissa. And. As you can probably tell already, Michelle is not with us tonight, so um, Michelle was not able to join us as we're recording here, and neither was Corey Woltering, <laughs> who is going to be our original person that we're going to be interviewing for today. Uh, both Michelle and Corey will be with us next week, and we'll interview him and talk to him about all that he's up to, um, and Michelle will be back. Um, with that in mind, we're also not going to talk about all the American records and all the uh, the the figure skating controversies and that sort of thing that we know that Michelle has strong opinions about that she's going to want to weigh in on um, until she actually gets back with us. But we do have a few different things we want to talk about. And the main thing we're going to talk about tonight is something that both Eric and I found super fascinating. Um, And that was the training diary or the training log or what would you call it? The training manifesto. That's actually what I'm looking for. Yeah, the training manifesto of a guy named niles van der uh, he's a swedish 25 year old he just won two mu- gold medals in the winter olympic games um, and we're going to tell you all about him and about this 62 page pdf that he put out all about his insane but also very interesting training uh in Insightful. preparation for these two goals so so yeah we'll look forward to sharing that before we do eric man i know you had a race this past weekend that big relay we've talked about it several times it got put off rescheduled you and lee finally got to do it how'd it go man
1: so yeah, so we had the Oconee Speedway relay. Uh, it's it's run on a old, actually the oldest NASCAR track here in North Carolina. It's a dirt track. It's no longer a NASCAR track. It's about a third the width of what it used to be, and the infield's all grown up with uh, pine trees and whatnot. Um, it's uh, but the old stands are still there. Uh, the start finish line's still there, and it's a it's actually a pretty cool place. Um, For sure, I've. I've realized that on most days there's people walking and walking their dogs out there. Um, But on race day, it was, uh, I think it was 68 teams of two to four people uh, running any number of laps in a relay fashion. So you could run one lap, two laps, three laps, and then the next person could run one lap, two lap, three laps. There was no structure to that, but basically doing 20 laps at about 1K per lap on this dirt track, and yeah, so Lee and I went out there, Lee Ragsdale, friend of the podcast. He, he said, Hey, do you want to do this? And I told you guys that this year was about doing some wacky stuff. And I said, that sounds wacky. Let's do that. <laughs> so I, had, I actually had a choice cause I was going to run a 50 miler instead, but I decided to do this and man, it was fun. It was cool. a lot of fun. Good. Um, yeah, we did, we did the one lap each. We just figured that was simple. So we were both I think we averaged about 4:30 something a lap. I was down a little bit around 4:20 and Lee was a little higher than 4:30 and handed off every lap and I think we were both pretty metronomish. It was cool. it was nice. Good. Um it the, the weather wasn't as bad as we expected. It didn't rain. Um but um yeah, it actually ended up being it was chilly. It got colder as the race went on. Um and it did start to sprinkle near the end, but I I think I told you and Michelle and I told everybody that asked me about it. It's the most fun I've had in a long time.
0: Awesome. You know, it's that
1: ultra group of people that do these crazy events, um, all shapes and sizes, all speeds. Um, we finished 15th overall. So that's against the two and three and four person teams. And we finished sixth in our, in the two person team, uh, the two person team division. Um, and, uh, I think our, our claim to fame is that we finished two seconds ahead of the first place women's team, whose name I can't remember right off the top of my head. But it, it, was it, 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 was of, four, it
0: was a group of four women team or 2 women team?
1: It was a four-woman team. Okay. Um, actually it was a four-girl team. It was four 12-year-olds running in uh cross-country or track spikes.
0: <laughs> well, there was four of them.
1: There were there were four of them. Uh, It was actually really funny. And, you know, this is the kind of thing you come across at these local events on the first lap, you know, this this little girl just bolts out in front of me. she has got she's got a little ponytail and she is just flying. And the only thing, you know, being a a type male, the only thing in my mind is she is not going to beat me. (laughs) Maybe it's the first lap, but she is not going to beat me, which is totally wrong. It's not the way you should approach this. I get that. But. I ended up running my fastest lap on the first lap, about 15 seconds faster than I wanted to, but it was really, you know, I have her to thank for that. Um, but what was interesting was the next time I walk up to the line, it's another I
0: was 12 say, year old girl. It wasn't the same one tracks
1: bikes. It wasn't the same one because <laughs> there was only two of us and there were four of them. And then the next time I walk up, she's right there. And the next mm-hmm. time I walk up, she's right there. Because mm-hmm. what was happening was whenever Lee got the baton, uh, the 12-year-old girl would pass Lee. And whenever I got the baton, I would pass the 12-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it came down to the last lap. And I asked Lee, I said, Lee, did, did you even see her? Because you, I think you beat her by just a couple of seconds, you know, mm-hmm. from, based on the results. And he's like, no, I had complete tunnel vision. Um, but he did run. So Lee ran his last lap, I think 10 seconds faster than awesome. you know, his previous five laps. There
0: you go. Um,
1: and I think partly that was because After my after I got up off the ground after my last lap, because I went first. So Lee ran the very last lap. I jogged across the infield and met Lee on the other side. And you can imagine, you know, the other side of this its a really narrow, long track. So it's got really long straightaways. That's kind of where you lose your focus and you might slow down a little bit. Well, I met Lee over there and dragged him through that flat stretch. Right on. (laughs) So I didn't actually get to see him finish. Okay. um uh, i came around the corner as he was you know he's off in the distance and he was finishing because he did take off and he ran really hard but um yeah it was it was a great race it was it was so much fun i i, I encourage people just to do any race that's similar to that i encourage people to if they live around here uh okanichi speedway relay um it was it was a lot of fun that's all i can awesome. that's how i finish good. it off it was a lot of fun
0: Awesome. Very good, man. Well done. Congrats. I raced Thank this you. weekend as well in a much more traditional race than the one that you ran. <laughs> so I had a I did have a pop quiz for you though. So let's hear
1: it. Is associated with the race. I'm going to give you two I sets bet of numbers. That,
0: I bet that whatever answer I give is going to be better than the answer Michelle gives.
1: <laughs> Actually, I think you would do better with this one. I always hey. try to, you know, help you guys out. So I'm going to give you two sets of numbers
0: right. and I want
1: you to tell me what they represent. Okay. Okay so the first set of numbers is 140 and 155 okay and the second set of numbers is 166 and 187 dump 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 dump, dump, 140 and 155 and i might have shared something with you after the race that you would have seen you know where you would have seen these
0: numbers oh man yeah i don't know tell me uh, oh, no, I do know what that is. Oh. <laughs> 140 and 155 is your average heart rate and your max heart rate during your race. That's and, right. And 167 and 187, is that how high it was? 166 and 187. Whew, those are my average and my max no, heart rate.
1: No, no, you went to 178 those are Lee's heart oh, okay very good seven, I was gonna say
0: because I knew mine was higher than you as well but no yeah our friend Lee has a rabbit heart man so so good for him. <laughs> jeez 187 just throwing down um very good. Very good, and that's that's of course with the that's the average with the heart rate coming down during the four minute or so breaks that he's getting in between. Uh, that's right, because uh, we never turned our watches off. Right, we ran right. our watches for the entire event. Oh, jeez, wow, pretty incredible, pretty incredible. Yeah, no, my my heart rate is is closer to Lee's than it is to yours, um, but uh, but it's not quite as high as his is. Wow, um, yeah, no, my race this weekend it was it was funny. It was called the Tartan Trot 10K um and it's in dunwoody georgia which is not too far away from here and everybody i knew that had run it before i would say oh yeah i'm running this race this weekend they'd be like oh my god that race is awful <laughs> and i'd be like what's <laughs> oh, so bad you. about it is it like poorly organized or or is it dangerous and they're like no it's it's really hilly um and it was um for a 10k race it had 420 feet of uphill um, which I realized by ultra standards is not a whole lot, but 420 feet of uphill is a whole lot when you're talking about a 10K. Um, and it had one pretty monstrous hill in between mile th- the three-mile mark and the four-mile mark. Um, but the positive part of the race is that a lot of times I've found with these local road races, the, the places shake out very early on. Like, like 400 meters into the race, The person who's going to win is probably in the lead. The person who's going to finish second is probably in second. Um, And that's just kind of the way it goes. And this race actually wasn't like that. I ran alongside a guy. For about for the first couple of miles um, and we were side by side and then he actually pulled away from me and pulled in front of me. And in my head, I started thinking, oh, well, you know, second place is pretty good. I'm pretty happy with second place. And I'm annoyed with myself that I kind of went to that place so so readily and so quickly. Um, Caught back up with him around the 5K mark, ran up the big hill with him and then crested the hill. And did what every coach tells you to do. I, I I ran over the top of the hill and and kind of was able to get away from him. I um, ultimately ended up beating him by about thirty seconds there. It's um, so the first time I've been in a race in a while that was uh, was competitive, for lack of a better way of saying it. Not that like I always win every single race, but usually just not competing for these spots, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so a race that I thought that I was going to lose, but I kind of kept my pet, the pet up of the metal and I ended up uh winning it. And so that was that was kind of fun. That was interesting. Um, and so I enjoyed it. Plus, I got a really sharp jacket for, for, for get, get, getting the win. Plus, I won a homemade pie, an apple uh, apple pie covered with caramel, <laughs> which was pretty good, too. So you can hear my sons yelling out in the hallway about how excited they were about that pie. Um, and so, so yeah, I had a fun race overall. So doing that.
1: Strava says that you set the course record.
0: So I'm sure that is not true, but... Um, but but it was definitely not a super fast course. That is certain. So I was happy for it uh, about it at this uh, at this particular juncture. Doing the Publix half marathon in a couple of weeks. Uh, the Atlanta Track Club was kind enough to put out a press release this week of how competitive the uh, the the uh, half marathon is going to be. They have seventeen thousand dollars worth of prize money uh, they're offering, and so. A uh, friend of the podcast, Patrick Olinger, former host of the podcast, Patrick Olinger, actually won that race a few years ago. Um, and he texted me the request release and said, I don't think I'm going to win this year <laughs> <laughs> with all the professional runners that are going to be coming in. And so we'll definitely talk about that um, when uh, Michelle comes back on the podcast in a couple of weeks, for sure. Um, All right, let's do a real kind of brief in case you missed it here, Um, because like we said, there are some big pieces of news, a new American record in the Indoor 5000, a new world record in the Indoor 1500, and so a few other things. But uh, we're going to save a lot of that until Michelle's actually back on and we can talk about it. But um, um, what you wanted to talk about, uh, Aaron Jackson, didn't you?
1: I did. Uh, Real quick, not on my radar. I'm not a speed skating um, follower. I did have rollerblades in high school and into Well, of college. course you did.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I did. One of my claim to fame is uh, in uh, middle school, I actually owned my own roller skates. I was, I was quite, oh, you were the, that guy. <laughs> I was that guy. And I had the zinger wheels. Oh man. It's jump bars. Yeah, it was good, good stuff. But um, Aaron Jackson, I, I don't even remember how this, popped up. I must have been just reading articles and I saw this name and I said, "Well, I'm going to figure out what this is all about. And what really caught my eye was that in 2018, Erin Jackson was a roller derby player. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is what you call them, roller derby mm-hmm. players. Um, and she was quite good at what she did. She did not she did not take on a, your typical roller derby name. She actually uh, played under her, her own name, Aaron Jackson. She thought that was good enough. Um, And, uh, but the story that really caught me about the Olympics was she did not qualify. I think she slipped and maybe fell during her event. So she didn't make the team, but then uh, Brittany bow, one of her teammates who did qualify actually stepped aside to allow her to to compete in the Olympics in the 500 meter. And then I'm not sure how it all worked, but they both ended up competing in the 500 meter in the right. Olympics, but Aaron came out with the with the gold and just to put a couple of like exclamation points on this, you know, she's the first black woman to ever win that event, which I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then the second thing is at I first, did the math. Just,
0: just to underline what you're saying, the first black woman ever to win the event, not the first African-American, but literally the first person of African descent from any country to win that event. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then just to,
1: just, to, you know, I'm, am a numbers person and I was like, you yeah, know, how fast do they skate? And I, I didn't figure out exactly how fast she was skating at the end of the race, but from a dead stop, in 500 meters. So there's not a whole lot of time at speed, right? It's a 37 yeah. second race. Mm-hmm. Her average speed was over 30 miles an hour. That's cool. You just got to think about that yeah. over a 37 second race, her average mm-hmm. speed was over 30 miles an hour. And that just blows me away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a, as a friend, Brittany Bo is apparently a really good friend of hers as a friend, you know, it's a really cool, a thing to to do what she did and you know step aside initially to let her race. But as a competitor, uh, Aaron Jackson's time in the race was a second faster than Britney Bo's. Mm-hmm. So as a competitor, as an
0: American, as a teammate, I think that, that says a lot about her. Absolutely. Um, Aaron Jackson afterwards said, okay, so I've got a gold and the other thing I really want to see is Britney Bo get a gold. Um, and so she really wanted her to actually win the thousand meters. Um, Brittany Bow ended up getting a bronze in the thousand meters, yep. which was which was pretty cool and which I was glad to see. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought it was a, a cool thing to see and and, and definitely very exciting. Um, another thing, another in case you missed it, thing um, is something that that. Came on Eric's radar and my radar this week, we promptly acted on, um, (laughs) and that is that the organizers of the Blue Ridge Relay, which it seems like we cannot really get through a podcast without mentioning the Blue Ridge Relay these days. I already had plans to mention the Blue Ridge Relay tonight, even without this, but the, uh, the, the race directors of the Blue Ridge Relay have a new event called the Tobacco Road Relay Um, that's going to be on April 30th of this year. And it's uh, smaller teams, a maximum size of six, the shorter race, 75 mile long race. um, And it's over the course of 12 stages. Um, And so as opposed to a 200 mile race, which is 36 stages and up to 12 people on your team, which with the Blue Ridge Relay is, uh, this is obviously a a little bit less of a physically and logistically challenging event. But on April 30th, we promptly signed up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and actually i'm fired up about it i'm really looking forward to it here and so we of course have to have the 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 payton's 10 by 5k payton's wild and wacky 10 by 5k that's coming up in what three weeks three
1: and, three and a half weeks
0: week. yeah um that's coming up in three weeks so looking forward to that over mount pleasant south carolina with the whole blue ridge relay crew and then about a month and a half later uh some of the blue ridge relay crew are going to be going and uh being a part of a four man team here for this tobacco road relay. So, um, finish is in Raleigh, where you live, man. That's right. Uh, I believe it's the Raleigh Brewing Company
1: where it finishes. So, Ken's sticking with his finish at a brewery company relay race. I'm good with that. You know, I, I just checked the uh, registration site and as it stands, we will win all awards because <laughs>
0: we're the only people that signed up so far. <laughs> we are the only team
1: to have officially signed up for the race.
0: Right on. I'll take it. Very good. <laughs> um, but th- this will, this will be a good rehearsal for me uh, to hang out with you all two weeks before a marathon. Cause I'm at uh, the Sugarloaf marathon is on May 15th. Um, and then come fall, the Blue Ridge relay is only three weeks ahead of the London marathon, which I'll be doing. And so, so this would be a good practice room. for me uh, spending time with y'all and, topping off my training by uh by, by doing a relay event with all of you so should be super fun should be super fun um but yeah we're talking trying to talk michelle into to finding some teammates and doing it too there might be a little bit of trash talking going on on the most pleasant exhaustion podcast <laughs> over the course of the next little while here we will see we'll see all right as i said we're going to spend our time tonight talking about uh, Niles Vanderpool. Um, now Niles Vanderpool, as I said here at the outset, he's a Swedish guy. He's 25 years old. Um, he's the winner of both the 5,000 meters and the 10,000 meters at the winter Olympics and speed skating. Um, he's the record holder in both of those events. He's done the 5,000, the 5k and 601. Um, and he's done the 10,000 meters, the 10k and 1230, um, which take a beat and think about how fast that is. <laughs> 1230 for a 10k. So pretty amazing. 30 miles an hour for the whole Uh, time. So yeah, just incredible. Um, And he's been a speed skater for a while. Um, He grew up doing speed skating, competitive speed skating. He was the 2014 junior world champion. Um, uh, Graduated to the senior ranks in the 2018 Olympic Games. Uh, He finished 14th. Um, After those winter games, he took a little bit of a break. Um, And from about mid 2018 until mid 2019, uh, he went to a ranger course with the Swedish army. Um, And he came out in what he characterized as pretty good shape. He was able to squat about 300 pounds. He said he could run about 40 minutes for a 10k. um, And he said that he had a really, really strong core. So he came out then and began training again with an eye towards the 2022 Olympic Games uh, and resuming his competitive speed skating career. Um, so what does any of this have to do with us? Well, he released a document um, just over the course of the last week or so here um, that is publicly available called How to Skate a 10K and also Half a 10K. <laughs> um, and you can find it at skate.se. Um, and it's just a straight up PDF document. Um, you hit download on it, it pops right up on your screen there. And, uh, and it's basically, he says, it's basically a summary of how I trained from May 2019 to February 2022. Um, it's the training that he's done over the course of almost the last two years in order to get ready for his superhuman efforts here uh, at the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing. Um, and so we had a few thoughts about it, a few takeaways about it. Um, Eric, what was your overall impression here? Um, How would you characterize uh, how to skate a 10K or half a 10K by Niles Vanderpoel?
1: I think I'd make three points and we can dig very deep into two of them. Okay. Um, The first point, though, I think is one of the most important. And I really appreciate uh, David Roach's article about this because he pointed this out. It's funny. Mm -hmm. He's not overly serious about this. I mean, he's obviously serious about the output and the product, you know, and what he's doing, but he presents it in a humorous way. Yeah, it's actually really easy to read. I agree with you. Makes it easy to read. And I think that's a key to making it a useful document and not a diatribe manifesto black and white on paper. Yeah. So I think that's one of the big keys that make this interesting. So that, that'd be my number one. My uh, number two. I, I, well, let,
0: let's talk about them because I totally yeah. agree with you on that. Um, it was far better written than I expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and maybe I've gotten a little bit jaded because I've read too much uh, uh, research literature and, and um, I don't know. But one way or another, yeah, it was fun the way he just kind of. He would talk about what he did in a fairly matter of fact way, but then always would throw in various jokes or there'd be like these little fun side notes and that sort of thing. Like when he talks about eating whipped cream straight and then, oh, by the way, my dental hygiene was shit during this period. And I really wish I would have learned to brush three times a day a little bit sooner. Like all these different sorts of things like that, that that he just kind of digressed into that were super fun. And so, yeah, I agree with you when I think when you first hear us say. Oh, yeah. The Olympic champion put out a 62 page PDF all about his training. That doesn't sound really super interesting. That's <laughs> <laughs>
1: why I led with that. You know, yeah. I wanted yeah. to kind of set the stage. No, it's it's an easy
0: read. It's yeah. It's, and, it's actually fun to read.
1: Right. And George, I, I think you and I and our friends, we approach things almost humor first. You know, it, it's kind of the entry point and it it humanizes Uh, a lot of this stuff because nobody you know he talks about seven hour rides at 250 watts day after day after day that is not fun and no one wants to really read about that Mm -hmm. but if you make it a story and you make it interesting i think you can capture more your audience becomes
0: larger right right yeah we'll go into the so so since you just mentioned that one Let's talk about that real quick. And so one of my big takeaways from it um, is is how much time he spent in the aerobic base phase, what we might call like base building. Right. Right. Um, In a lot of ways, the actual setup of the training was in itself not that revolutionary. He built a base. Then he did a threshold phase or doing tempo runs. Then he started doing more race specific stuff right? I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's the way you and I have been training literally since high school. Like we take yep. the summer and we'd run mostly easy miles, right? With a few strides mixed in and that sort of thing. Um, and then we'd start doing tempo runs at the outset of the season. Then as you got closer and closer to, to your peak race, the state meet or whatever happened to be, you'd start, uh, doing faster, shorter things. Um, so in that sense, it's not really all that revolutionary, um, where it's revolutionary, I think is in the scale. Um, That, as you said, over time, he built up to where his aerobic weeks or his his weeks during his base phase included 33 hours worth of training. Um, And that 33 hours worth of training was seven hour bike rides, three days a week and six hour bike rides, two days a week. Sometimes he would mix in like a little bit of cross country skiing rather than cycling, um, but it was almost entirely cycling. He put some running in there along the way, but he ultimately actually injured himself while running um, and so ended up being in his big, huge base phase, months long base phase uh, leading up to his, his training for the Olympic Games. Um, it was almost entirely on the bike. Um and so he, he writes about how important it was to actually build that aerobic engine, right? Um, how, how important it was to actually create all that, that stuff, um, all that mitochondria, all that, that blood-carrying capacity um, inside of his body in order that he could do the more race-specific things later on. Um,
1: if I could, when you say the scale of it, I think one thing that people might take is the sheer number of hours that he put into it. And Mm -hmm. but I I think it's more than that. It's deeper than just because you could say, well, that's his job. Like Mm -hmm. he should be putting seven hours a day on the bike. You know, Mm -hmm. you you, you could make that that corollary. I, I think the the scale of it included how important that was and even how specific he was about how he approached that scale and how he made comments to and I would not sacrifice that for anything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like over the summer, you, you, the corollary is over the summer, we would run 700 miles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we were not as specific about how we ran that 700 miles. And once the season started, the base, the base time was over. Mm-hmm. Whereas he, he, he continued that even into his season. I think the scale is not just the number of hours he put into it. But the degree to which that was very um, important, I think you, you used the word importance just a minute ago. Mm-hmm. I think he he felt he felt like that was the most important thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he said that, that that everything, all of this grew out of his aerobic fitness, right um, The entire endeavor grew out of it. And I think that when you look at a speed skater who's Times are 601 for 5k and 1230 for 10k. You're not thinking, oh, it must be because he had a six month long base period in which he put in up to 33 hours a week on the bike. That's not necessarily what your first thought is going to be. Um, But yet that's exactly what he did. Um, and like we said, he kind of mixed it up a little bit, which I'm going to talk a little, a little bit more about here in just a second. Um, but, but the amount of time that he actually spent just, you know, building the engine in zone two. Um, you mentioned 240 watts. Well, his FTP is actually 400 watts. And so that's only about 60%. Right. And so right. he's not going super hard. He's going about the same intensity that you and I ride when we ride on Zwift on Saturday mornings. Right. Um, and so so it's, it's mostly just kind of relaxed, easy mileage um, that he's putting in just hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. Um, so, yeah, I was I was super interested in that sort, sort of aerobic season. Um, he didn't ever do any other things during that aerobic season. He didn't push the pace during that aerobic season. Um, He said that he, looking back on it, maybe he should have put in a few sprints, but he said, but I really didn't. And I think that was one of the things that really stood out to me is how compartmentalized his seasons were. Like he had his aerobic season and he he called them his seasons. And so that's that's me saying that. Um, His aerobic season, his threshold season, his specific season, like he had these seasons and he pretty much kept them walled off from one another. And I think that a lot of people over the course of the last several years I've read have talked about how, you know, you have lactate threshold, you have VO2 max, you have um, aerobic development, um, and you have more neuromuscular development, like those four things. And at any time throughout the course of the year, you're working on all those four things. You're just working on them in different concentrations, and you're just emphasizing different things. That wasn't his approach at all. He's like, I'm not working on neuromuscular stuff or threshold or VO2 max for several months over the year, all I'm working on is aerobic development. And then he, he switched over to threshold and he kept on working on aerobic development, like you said, but then he, he only worked on threshold. He didn't work on neuromuscular stuff or on VO2 max stuff. So I, I thought that how compartmentalized his seasons were was really interesting to me because that's contrary to what so many people I've read over the course of the past several years have said, and frankly, really contrary to what I've done over the course of the past several years, both with myself and with the athletes that I coach.
1: I would agree. You know. And over the last three or four years, I've mixed it up a lot. I really don't, it's, it's unlike high school where you had summer off, you know, and and you could, you could actually really dedicate yourself to putting in miles. You know, I, I work all year long. So I don't really get that period where I can focus just on base. And so I, I mix it up and that's what I do for the people I coach also, but I've seen high school coaching, uh, literature saying almost down to every session should have a piece of base threshold and uh race specific right so we've he's he's taken it way 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 to the left of that and i think you know and we should have prefaced all of this by saying two things one he is a world-class athlete right so he has physical attributes that 99.997 percent of us don't have and the other thing is everything he did might not be exactly what he put in this
0: yeah in the sure. manifesto yeah no um, no absolutely but
1: even at 75 <laughs> percent
0: yeah no, <laughs> no and, and, and i'll add a third thing and i think that second thing is important because you know you and i have talked about this before i don't think we've talked about it on the podcast but we've talked about it before the the professional athletes are such a mind game that that he might not be doing this at all and he's just putting that out there to fuck with his competitors you know uh, I mean that that could be true and we're devoting all this time on the podcast and everything else to it I don't think it is like I don't he's get messing that with me too. <laughs> um, but yeah yeah no kidding because um, I've but, only got but, seven but, but, but hours before, before I, I need to, to, go to go to bed, bed. So I'm yeah, only got right? seven
1: hours before I need to go to bed, so I need to get my <laughs> ride in.
0: <laughs> but 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 that is a possibility. So we are presuming that he actually did what it is he said, and he was very you know vulnerable and, and humble about the fact he said you know what? sometimes I fell apart and sometimes I didn't quite make get it done, which is one of the things that lends me to believe that he actually did do mostly what he said he did. But then the third caveat I'll also add is that he's an N of one, right? Um, yeah. And so this worked for him. Um, in large part, perhaps because he is a world class athlete. Um, and so just because it worked for him doesn't mean you need to download it directly into your life. Um, and he says that too. Um, he says, I built up to it slowly. I've been doing this for a long time, you know. Um, but nonetheless, I, th- I still think it's provocative for us to consider. Um, all right. What was your number two thing? What was the second thing? First thing was That's- that he was funny.
1: So my number two thing was it's
0: not revolutionary. So we're going to move on to my number three. Thing <laughs> so so the number so the number two thing was that that basically, like I said, it's just going yeah. kind to of set up. Yeah. Base speed specific. That's yeah. that's how I've yeah. always
1: trained. It's how I've always coached. You do your base. You do your speed stuff to get your
0: threshold in, and then you do specific stuff as you get close to the race. So that's yeah. what he did, and I think that it's right. not
1: revolutionary. Right. Um, okay.
0: So so but on that note, since we're talking about aerobic stuff. He, he did have just like some world-class quotations in here as well oh yeah um, and so just to the point that he's funny he had one in the section about his so-called aerobic season where he said aerobic season is food season and i tried <laughs> to enjoy that but usually i was experiencing a food coma and hunger at the same time it's quite a weird feeling <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, he 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 throws out the number. What is it? 7,000 seven thousand. Calories.
0: calories. He said he had. seven
1: thousand calories. Yeah. Like people at our level eat that yeah. in a week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: not not called a week. Maybe that's excessive. You know, during during the work week. <laughs> yeah, during the work week, yeah. and people who were you know like high school uh, high school kids eat that in a week because that's all the. I'm yeah. I'm blown away by that seven thousand calories. But he, he he makes a comment. Yeah. So from the point where I finished dinner to where I fall asleep, I ate potato chips.
0: <laughs> yeah. He said he was trying to get the calories in any way that he possibly could. Like I said before, he said he was he would be on the bike squeezing whipped cream into his mouth. Yeah. Um, Michelle it,
1: said, what does he do riding for seven hours? And my, my one word response, eat.
0: eat. Yeah. Whipped <laughs> cream. <laughs> yeah. Were, yeah, And he did say, oh, yeah, I should have been brushing my teeth three times a day for sure. Um, yeah. I was reminded of, of uh, before my wife did Race Across America, she actually went to the dentist because she had read that sometimes their teeth get messed up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he gave her some special toothpaste um, for her That's to use and cool. the two weeks prior and then during the race itself. Yeah, that is very cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, so my number three were uh, targets, uh, out kind of outside of the plan type targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ran a hundred mile race. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a couple of other things. Like I'm not thinking off the top of my head. Yeah. This I one stood out think. to me too. Yeah. Where any, and I think he did that, or at least what he, what I, what I got from it, he did that one to give him a tar give himself a target to, to work towards during mm-hmm. his quote unquote training yeah. and to keep it interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: So it I wasn't agree. boring because, 33 hours on the bike. <laughs> right. right. It, it doesn't matter how many podcasts, how many, you know, Netflix shows or whatever, how many cans of whipped cream. It's going to get boring, so you need to have some goal, some intermittent goal to work towards.
0: Yeah. No, I thought that was super interesting as well. And that's one of the things I had taken note of that one talk about too. I referred to it as indulging himself. Um, and, and because that's the language and that's the lens through which I saw it, because that's something we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, that, that, uh, he wrote and I'll quote him here. He said, during the aerobic season, I planned for some endurance challenges. It could be a 100 kilometer run, a five day running stage race of 280 kilometers or a 600 kilometer bike ride. The main purpose of this was to inspire myself to train more, gather more hours, but also to get some cool experiences out of my career. After all, I didn't get to decide whether or not I would win the Olympics, but I did decide if I wanted to compete a 100 miles ultra run or not. Um, and he did do a 100 mile ultra. And he said that the only time he's ever cried at the end of an, uh, of an athletic event is when he finished his 100 miler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, to me, that, that reminded me of what we've talked about before um, in the, that I, I've said that over the course of the last couple of years in particular... Um, but but uh, I was kind of trending in this direction anyway, even pre-pandemic, that, that I've been willing to let myself do things that are a little bit more fun, um, mm-hmm. that, that are sort of interesting and different, as opposed to just being real regimented around, well, this is my goal race and everything lines up to my goal race. And, and if it doesn't align exactly with my goal race, then I can't do it. Um, right. And and I think that as the pandemic sort of forced a change in everybody's routine, I I really leaned into kind of indulging myself. But I think that that um, you're kind of seeing this with a lot of different pro athletes right now. And I really kind of enjoyed this particular aspect of of his of his manifesto, Um, because I I was thinking about like C.J. Albertson, um, who there was a good article about him in slow twitch this week about how he gets on his treadmill and will like literally run thirty five miles. Um, and stuff like that because he's kind of indulging himself a little bit like this is something he wants to kind of do and he gets it in his head he talks about what how like dude. like someday, 35
1: miles is fun that, so, That's so, an indulgent... right
0: so but he said he said he has it in his <laughs> on a head. treadmill he said he has it in his head that he wants to run 50k on a treadmill at 520 pace like for <laughs> some reason that this kind of that that sort of fascinates him right now yeah, that's like awesome. in his head Right. So and so, okay. so he figures he's ultimately probably going to end ultimately end up doing it. Um, but there's lots of there's lots of really good examples, I think, of this in cycling. You have Tom Pitcock who is on team Enios and makes loads of money to race on the roads, but this past year he won the olympic games in the mountain bike um and then he just won a world title in cyclocross right um you have matthew vanderpoel and you have you have Wout van art who made names for themselves in in cyclocross but now are on the road and now they're doing mountain bike and cyc- all these different sort of things you have lachlan morton who we talked about last year mm-hmm. who is a road cyclist but during the tour de france he did his own tour de france tour and like rode the whole course in front of the tour de france by himself as a bike packer right the I, I feel like this is just becoming more of a common thing and i think it's super cool um and, and I, that stood out to me about this that he's 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 not going to go so off the rails that that he's going to do something that's completely contrary to and will sabotage his goals his medium term or his long-term goals right but he's willing to do things that are pretty non-traditional in service of those goals yeah yeah Um, and I feel like I was thinking about it for myself, just in light of having read this. Um, and, and since we talked about it before and I was like, I was like, how did, like, what planted this seed for me? Um, and I think what planted the seed for me was actually the blue Ridge relay. When I started doing the blue Ridge relay with y'all in 2018, I was training for the Philadelphia marathon and I trained for that marathon, just kind of the way that we always did. And then I go out with y'all and I do the blue Ridge relay. I have a lot of fun. And then I go to the Philadelphia marathon um two months later and and i ran really well and i was like okay that didn't screw me up like i was still able to run well afterwards do you know what i mean yeah. um and i think that, that that encouraged me to sort of find other events be they zwift races or zwift duathlons or 50ks or 10 by 5k or whatever it happens to be um that they don't sabotage the goal but they're also kind of fun and they keep the training sort of spicy do you know what i mean yeah Um, I think
1: it's been fun to watch you also do some random things (laughs) for the moment things. Like it's not, it's you're, you're not planning all of your races even a month in advance sometimes. No, I agree. I agree. During the pandemic, we did all those random, you know, I can't even remember what they were called, but it was like run four miles every six hours. Right, right, right.
0: Like the Yeti challenge and stuff. Yeti challenge. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, it, yeah.
1: it, I think it makes things more fun. It, it's still a challenge and it's like, oh, can I do that? But, and I'm not preparing for it necessarily. I'm just integrating it into my training. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I might like Lee and I joked, you know, this weekend, like, what is this all about when we've got the 10 by 5k coming up, but it's just
0: Yasso 800s. They're right.
1: just 1100s, right. you know,
0: and. No, <laughs> totally. And, uh, it, and, and it, and it, and it it keeps the flame alive for lack of better ways and you know what i'm saying and 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 i and that's what i hear in his writing is that he's doing all it's it's like you're you're a 5k 10k speed skater and you're doing a hundred mile ultra why would you do that well it's because a he wants to have this massive aerobic block um uh but b just as importantly, he feels that even during this time when he's putting in all of these hours, he wants to do things that are kind of cool. And I yeah. think it actually showed a lot of wisdom, too, for him to say that, that, you know, he doesn't have control over whether he wins the Olympic Games, but he can exert some control over whether he gets to actually run 100 miles one day. And finish. Um, and right. finish. Yeah. yeah. There, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in this piece of writing, which is one thing yeah. that I kind of appreciated. And so that, that willingness to sort of indulge yourself there, I thought was great. Um, I thought it was very cool. Um, so,
1: I'm going to get to my number three now. Is that cool? All
0: right, cool. Well, that that was your number three. So you're gonna well, you're I, gonna you have a new number three. Oh, my number two. Oh, okay, my bad, my bad. Did mean to you steer segued, your number two?
1: You segued from my number one into your number one. <laughs>
0: All right, let's um, hear your number. Let's hear your number three now. I, I it,
1: it was the and you have touched on this at least twice already. It was the honesty. What I what I felt came through is honesty in this and I'll give you one quick example. He would say, well, the thing about the teeth, you know, that was kind of funny, but Mm. it was also honest, you know, Mm. I should have had better oral hygiene." But then another one was he has these blocks where he does five days of just insane training, and then he takes two days, you know, he does a block of two
0: days off. Right.
1: And you think, oh, okay. So he he does does that
0: in every phase. Yeah. His, his his training from His training, three hundred sixty-five days a year, is five days on, two days off. He takes a weekend. Yeah, he he trains for the Olympic speed skating the way that you work as an engineer. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly.
1: But then, but then. He says during that time, he does all the things that he doesn't get, to, just like the rest of us. Right. Right. It's a weekend. I think he talks about like playing video games and catching up on this and doing all these like stupid, Mm -hmm. silly things. So there's, there's some honesty there. And then the other honesty that all of us can learn from and we talk about it all the time and we don't do it. And maybe this is like a difference between this world class athlete and the rest of us is. And we'll get into this. when We talk about some of the specific speed training, but he he talks about if I didn't feel it, man, I just stopped Yeah, Take another day off. Yeah. You yeah. Know, if, if, if I if I didn't feel it, I didn't feel like it was working for me. And I think you made a comment somewhere about being um, in tune or listening, yeah. listening yeah. To, Listen to, your to your body, body. Mm-hmm. you know, that's a piece of it. It's also mm-hmm. just a total mental. It's not, you know, screwing with your own mind yeah it's not what is my oh man what are my followers gonna think that i took three days straight off on strava which Mm -hmm. none of them really give a damn because they're worried about what you think about their strava Mm -hmm. you know but (laughs) he 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 told he was so focused that he knew if it's not going right i need to quit and that's that's being honest with yourself which is the most difficult level of honesty there is.
0: I agree. Yeah. So, so there, there, you, you sort of put two things in your number three there. Um, and so, 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 <laughs> so it's I, my number four and five, there you go. They number four and five. So, so let's talk about that first and the whole five, two setup, which it does, it does require some real confidence and some real faith to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to train five days a week, like an animal. And then I'm just going to take two weeks, two days off. Um, and of course there's like a physiological benefit to that. You know, you need to to recover and your, your endocrine system needs to recover and, and your body needs to literally rebuild itself after all this time. But really, as he spoke about it, as he wrote about it, it was clear that it served a far greater and more important mental purpose than it did a physical purpose to me. Um, you know, he talked about how, like you said, he like would go out drinking and he made new friends. He said he had to develop new interests. And so he wasn't so one dimensional. He wasn't just like speed skating all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, and he had to get to know people that were from outside of the sport of speed skating that maybe didn't even really care that he was a world class speed skater. Instead, he had to have some sort of mutual interest in them instead. Um, and so. So, yeah. And, and he actually writes in this piece that's all about his training. One of the greatest things that's happened over the course of the past few years, I've, I've made a lot of really good friends. Um, yeah. And then, then he says, quote, it was not my success that justified my sacrifices. It was my friends. And I owed it to them to try and live up to my full potential, um, which I thought was so cool. Um, well, and that's cool. And, yeah.
1: that's cool because it, it talks to why we and how we run the Blue Ridge Relay, mm-hmm. why we and how we these you know, we. For those of you who don't listen to podcasts all the time, George and I went to college together and then we really didn't talk, hang out do anything for almost 20 years. <laughs> we we knew the other existed, but since that point, that first Blue Ridge Relay, we didn't do a whole lot. And now we have this group who um, on Saturdays, 80% of us are together riding. Uh, we're, we're running three to four races out of the year together. Um, we probably message to the message we have, three or four separate message groups Mm -hmm. over a hundred times a day each. Mm -hmm. I it's probably right around there. Mm -hmm. And that from a performance standpoint, like, does it, are we pushing one another constantly? No, we, we actually never do that. We, it's all encouragement. It's all, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, we talk even silly. I think it's silly sometimes like for the Zwift racing, Hey, what bike is best for this race? Mm -hmm. It's this, just this community that we've built around this that I think is way bigger than a lot of people think.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's more important. important. And, and, and ultimately, it's something that, that if one of us quit doing it, um, it would persist. Um, right. Yeah. He says um, he also writes in the long term, the meaning I created apart from my sport made me like my sport more because it suddenly it enriched my life rather than limiting it. It also made me more determined to work hard because training was not my last resort. It was my voluntary choice endured at my own conditions. Um, He talks about like sort of choosing to train and choosing to suffer on, on a couple of different occasions, which I thought was such an interesting thing for him to talk about. And again, I mean. I think so often when we set up our training or when we set up other people's training, we think about it in terms of what is physiologically best. Of course we do. Um, And I think obviously he, he put a lot of physiological thought into this or a lot of thought about physiology into this, but, but when he wrote about the primary benefits of this five, two setup, he wrote about it from a mental place um, from a life being enriched place. Um, And I appreciated that. Um, yeah, you know, and you you touched
1: on this a little bit with the Blue Ridge Relay. Um uh, when when I'm looking at people's plans, I'm always asking, what do you want to do next? What do you want to do next? And you know, I'm going to throw James out there as an example. And I think one of the conversations he had with me was, "Hey, I want to run this 40 miler in Uari. And it's a, you know, it's a 40-mile mountain race basically. And he's, you know, 40 years old, I want to run this 40-mile run.
0: Hmm.
1: And he, his question is, "Is that going to mess me up for Boston?"
0: Right.
1: And I look, I've, I really started looking at this as two ways is, well, of course not. It's, it's early enough from, so from a training perspective, this is actually probably a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. But mentally, if you want to do that and you're going to regret doing that afterwards, and that's going to excite you about the different types of training, we're going to get to integrate in to make that 40 miler happen. Heck yeah, let's do it. Right. Have fun.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. When I was training, um, when I was coaching Thomas Odom, who uh, who did Race Across America solo um, a few years ago, um, he finished in the top five. He did great. He just really did. It had an amazing performance in Race Across America. Um, When he and I first spoke, he said, there's a few things on the bike that I kind of want to do. And I want to sort of integrate them into this. I was like, fantastic. So, for example, he wanted to do an Everesting. um and so so yeah so we find a way to make that work um he uh wanted to ride his bike to the start from where he lived in northern georgia to the starting line of the marine corps marathon it's like yeah okay we can you know it takes like three days but i was was like yeah we can make that happen you know and 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 so so we just kind of figure out how to make those things happen um and and that kind of circles back around to the whole indulgence thing too right um for sure um so the other thing you mentioned just then is listening to your body um, he had a quotation there that said, if you're listening to your body, when it whispers to you, you don't have to hear it scream. so good. <laughs> it's just, I yeah. bet he knew
1: it. I bet when he wrote that, he goes. Exactly. That's, right he, 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 that,
0: he, that, that's what Matthew McConaughey calls the launch pad line. Yeah, he knew that was yeah, a launch pad line cool. when he said it, right? Um, but uh, But yeah. I, I thought that was great. Um, he talks about it when it comes to like figuring out exactly what threshold, what lactate threshold he should be riding at during the uh, training at during the threshold stage. Um, you know exactly how much lactate he should be producing and what works best for him. Um, he talks about it when it comes to tapering, that he's like experimented with different tapering protocols and things like that, and he listens to his body. Um, and then just like you said he looks at the numbers really closely. He looks at it like his wattages on the bike and that sort of thing. And if it's harder than it's supposed to be, or if his heart rate is too high or too low, um, or if he's just not able to produce the power, he's like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take this day off. Um, He said that at one point during the specific phase, which by the way, is the first time he puts on skates, which we're going to talk about next. Um, But he says during the specific phase, if he's off on a lap by even 0.3 seconds, he knows that that's an indication that maybe he needs to take another rest day. And so he'll just shut it down and take another rest day. Um, the amount of poise and confidence that that takes. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the amount of self-awareness that takes um, it's very impressive. Um, and particularly given that so many of us think, Oh, well, if you're having a bad day, you just kind of cut it out you know, true. you get on through yeah. it. Yeah. No. Um, I also thought kind of along those same lines, it's a little bit different. I kind of thought along those same lines that, that, He he talked about he had a quotation near the beginning, um, which I think sort of informed all of his training where he said, quote, all training sessions are performed at the expense of other more efficient training sessions or at the expense of recovering after these sessions. My point isn't that stretching is useless. If you need to stretch, then go ahead and bend over. But do not fool yourself. Do not drop hours from the essential sessions in order to perform something that sounds cool or is easy. Yeah, the gym is warm and nice, mirrors everywhere so that you can see your pretty face and attractive muscles, but you're more likely 50 watts of the required bike threshold to make it below 1,200 than you are 50 kilograms in squats from it. I completely cut what I thought were the suboptimal sessions in order to increase the optimal ones. I thought that was just great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you read Um, that, and you're like, "Man, yeah." But has this been? Yeah, but it's but it's um, it's so simple, but it's it's so um, there's so much truth in it that that we do kind of get sucked away by fads and looking at various things and and distracted by by stuff that that we think is is like critical when in fact it's not. Um, and and he very much says, "Okay, well, there's nothing wrong with stretching. If you need to stretch, you should stretch, but it's not about." making you a better stretcher it's about making you a better speed skater in his case runner in our case right and so are you stretching the minimum amount necessary in order to help your running and then if the answer is yes then spend whatever more time you have not stretching additionally but running <laughs> or, or or doing things that will improve your running um, yep. and i think that's such an important point
1: point. and i
0: i think it it
1: leads into where where you want to go next of if if there is a very important piece to the event you're doing, say form, mm-hmm. don't do things that will impact form. Yeah.
0: yeah. And,
1: and I've heard I think I've heard you say this, but Lee Ragsdale, friend of the podcast and I were talking, he says that you've said this before with swimming. Mm-hmm. Don't go swim two miles. Mm-hmm because your form will suffer and no, you and I, sure. I have talked about mm-hmm. the fastest swimmers don't actually look like they're swimming fast
0: right right
1: it's because their form is perfect or yeah. close
0: to and, and 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 they don't go out and they don't swim they don't swim four miles in a row without stopping yeah a, a lot of a lot of runners who go to triathlon are accustomed to going doing long, slow distance to doing just sort of regular, easy runs, and then they think that swimming's the same way, and that's not how swim works because swim is so much more form dependent, and your body doesn't find an efficient swimming form the way it can potentially find an efficient running form, um, and there's you know philosophical and, and evolutionary reasons for that, but but yeah, so so yeah, the next point I want to talk about is kind of a tangential point to that or sort of related to that, but um, it's about the specificity or the non specificity. Um, And I think that to your point, when it came to actually skating, he was super specific when it came to to when he actually put his skates on and got on the ice, which he only did in the last 10 weeks of the year, (laughs) which he only did uh, three weeks before his or five weeks before his first race. Um, When it came to that, he was super specific. He never skated a lap at, at slower than his race pace. Um, and so if he was going to put on the skates, he was going to be super specific. And that's because there are, there are form things about that. Um, but when it came to actually building his fitness, he was super non-specific. And, and, and that's what really stood out to me about it. Like most of the aerobic season was on the bike. None of it was on skates. All of the threshold season was on the bike. Right. Um, And he like I said, he didn't even put on the skates until the tail end of the threshold season, about five weeks before his first race, Um, even during the specific season himself. He would warm up on the bike a lot of times in his rest intervals during during his skating sessions, his ice sessions, he would actually get back on a bike and ride his bike on the trainer. Right. And then a lot of times he would finish up his workout or even finish up a race and then he would go and ride the bike some more. You know, he said he celebrated his 5,000-meter world record by getting a bottle of champagne and riding the bike for three hours.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, and so,
0: so I, I thought that was sort of fascinating. Um, and I think that you sort of, you sort of uh, put your finger on it well by, by saying when is he specific and when is he not. He's specific when he puts on the skates because it is such a form-dependent activity. Um, right. But when it comes to, to actually building fitness um, his fitness, his engine is not built on the ice. Um, yeah. it is, it is built on the bike. Um, and I I've, I've had long diatribes on this podcast before about how I strongly believe that that very thing that, that you can build your engine, you can build your fitness in places that you don't have to do those on the run. Um, you can do them in far safer ways that don't beat you up nearly as much. You do still need to do some running. Obviously he still did some skating. Um, but, but you can build your fitness in other ways in other places through other means. Um,
1: yeah, I, I felt like that was a point and maybe I just didn't read it in his article, but in David Roach's article, he, I don't think he gave that enough credit mm-hmm. because he kept saying- I, think, I don't
0: think so either. I agree He
1: kept saying that cycling is so much more, or is so much similar to skating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, that that has nothing to do with it. It's, I agree. Cycling is a corollary to running just as much as cycling is a corollary to skating or it, enough. I agree close with you. I you, agree with
0: you. What what cycling and skating have is a shared history that cycling and running don't have. That's you know, you, you, you have like Eric Haydn, for example, who was an Olympian and rode the Tour de France, right? Um, and so so you have you have more of a shared history there. And so you have a, a you have speed skaters who have ridden the bike for decades right and you just don't have a history of of runners who train using largely a bike um you just don't have it there's just not that that history um and so so I, i but yeah i agree with you i think that some of his um so we you know we read the pdf but we also read david roach's piece in trail runner where he talked about it i think that david roach in his piece um reflected some of the um the prejudice that uh, running coaches typically have toward cross training. Right. Um, and, um, yeah. yeah.
1: Cross training was never brought up to me when I was in high school. Right. Right. And I, I don't think it was a, I don't know if it's a prejudice or just like a, it, it wasn't well understood. Right. But you know, I can I can say for any athletes, it's important. Mm-hmm. But I will say for athletes like us, mm-hmm. who have you know, niggling injuries like a like our heel spurs, or for athletes like us that are advancing in our age. I mean, we're not as old as Lee. I mean, he's almost fifty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lee has come up a lot in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you clearly spent a lot of time with him this weekend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 point is that we cannot. And David Rich says this all the time, runners could not do, you know, 33 hours of running and, Mm -hmm. you know, they can't do that. Well, no kidding. But you could do 20 hours of cycling, Mm -hmm. right? You could do 20 hours of cycling. And I remember it, even in college, I noticed this, that I could kill two, three, you know, 25, 30 mile rides, which are basically races around Atlanta. And the next day, Didn't didn't faze me. Right. And now I can put in so much more base on the bike that is helping me run Mm -hmm. more than it would if I was trying to put all that base in on my legs running for sure. So I think there are, you know, there are some definite benefits to that weather, age, injury, just time. It's Mm -hmm. easier to throw on my shoes and jump on the bike. It Mm -hmm. really is. Mm -hmm. than to go find a dirt trail to run on because I don't want to beat myself up. Um, I agree. So I, I I think that's a huge, huge misconception that people might have, or prejudices. You said possibly that they should they should
0: rethink that. I agree. I agree. All um, right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up here. There are a couple of kind of miscellaneous things he says at the tail end that I just wanted to kind of include. He And, and this is sort of the way he set it up as well. He just kind of threw in a bunch of miscellaneous stuff towards the tail mm-hmm. end. Um, one of them, he said, quote, I'm confident when I draw the conclusion that traveling days are not rest days. I think a lot of athletes do not respect this vital insight. I like that one.
1: I do too. Sitting in the car is not easy. Sitting on an airplane
0: is not easy. Yeah. And then he went so far as to say, That that because travel days aren't rest days, that he will only travel really when it's kind of required of him. Um, So he has to travel to races, obviously. Um, But if doing a workout or doing a less important race is going to actually require him to travel, he just won't do it. Um, So because traveling is going to be too disruptive and, and too draining for him. Um, He said he does no testing. He doesn't do any VO two max testing or FTP testing or anything like that. Um, It requires him to deviate from his regular training. It requires him sometimes to travel. Um, And then he says, quote, also, I hated it. It sucked, unquote, (laughs) 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 which he's right about, by the way. Um, But (laughs) I I love this one. I I very rarely ever do FTP tests on the bike. I have a pretty good sense of what my FTP is just by looking at what I can do in workouts and, and feeling where I am. And that's very much where he is too um i had an athlete several years ago that basically said, said i'm never going to do another one of those again that's that's it feels like a waste of time you have to take time off you have to you have to rest a little bit beforehand all these sorts of things um and they're miserable um so so why do them and i agree with him on that um he uh he talked about his diet He talked about alcohol. He said that during his aerobic season, he drank beer just like any typical 25 year old probably would. I don't know how much beer they drink in Sweden, but um, but then he actually as he got closer and closer to the specific phase, he drank less and less. Makes sense. Uh, Relationship with with his coach. He says that he has very much a give and take relationship with his coach, which I think is good. Um, He talked about training solo. Um, he said that he liked training solo rather than training with a team. In part, he said he can't find anybody that's willing to put in as much volume as he does. Um, <laughs> but he said also, I can be much more flexible, and I can kind of say, you know what, I'm not feeling it today. Today needs to be rest day after all. If he's by himself, and if he was with a team, you know, you have to kind of do what the team does. Um, and so that provided him some critical flexibility, which I think is super important because we've talked before on this podcast about how great it is to have a team and how great it is to have a community. Um, and he's like, yeah, it's great, but be mindful of some of the downsides as well. Um, talks about creating an environment that promotes, um, promotes achievement, uh, which is what in the lab coaching is all about. Building your lab, ITL coaching is all about, for sure. Um, he even writes a little bit about uh, dealing with the media um, and how you should talk to the media and all that sort of thing. Um, so at the very end, he does say, I want to give you two more quotations that are just super fun. One is he says, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. And um, he says, quote, my training program was very simple and therefore very robust. It was cheap and reliable, not fancy nor extraordinary. I tried not to involve things that I could not control. I did not become reliant on equipment that I could not easily access. I did not make plans that I did not understand. I did not follow a culture of buying a bike too expensive to bring about in the rain. To me, speed skating was just a one legged squad repeated over and over during maximum heart rate. It was all just very simple. And I kept it that way. <laughs> a one-legged squat so so what i want to know because eric like i feel like you could say that i feel like are you going to get that on a t-shirt or on a hat or on a poster or all of the above because that definitely feels like the sort of thing you would say i I love (laughs) it i absolutely love it keep
1: it my my dad taught me that when i was probably 11 or 12 and
0: i try to that's how i try to approach my life there you you go man. there you go i do like your yeah And then the final thought, the final thought was the epilogue thought. This was literally his final thought in the entire thing as well. Um, Quote, the hardest thing about this program was getting through it with a smile upon my face. When I found ways to enjoy it, I was unstoppable. Sometimes to get through more hours, what was needed was an ice cream. And sometimes it was multiple ice creams. (laughs) The good news was that ice cream was pretty cheap. So even though other skaters had millions of euros going into their careers, I was able to skate faster than all of them because I had found a way to enhance my performance with ice cream. To me, the challenge was not about suffering, but about finding a way to endure hardships with ease.
1: You know, There's two reasons I why
0: I, I, I read your notes and I saw that and
1: I said, that's so great. And there's two reasons why. Just recently, I've started saying, Melissa, buy me ice cream. <laughs> and and i'll be home from i was coming home from the Okinichi mountain challenge the one i did a couple of weekends ago and i stopped at the store just to buy ice cream i went down to taylor's gas station just down the road just to buy ice cream and i'm that's how i feel about it i just want ice cream and i'll put i'll put m&ms and nuts and chunks of peanut butter and all sorts of stuff in there because I want that ice cream. So I thought it was kind of funny that that was in there. But then I started thinking about Grace and I at our old house used to do this run. Grace, my daughter, who's in college, uh, she's also an ultra marathoner. So we would do this run and it was a seven mile run. And the turnaround point was a McDonald's and Grace without fail had to go to the bathroom just about every time we got to that McDonald's. So we'd go in there and I always felt like I needed to buy something. So I started bringing my credit card. there. What am I going to buy? So she's in there going to the bathroom and I was like, I'm going to buy a damn ice cream. (laughs) So she comes out and I'm there eating ice cream. I've got the little McDonald's cone and the ice cream. She's like, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to eat it. She goes, but we need to leave. I said, we can leave. And we're jogging down the road and I'm
0: eating my ice cream. Put it in a cone. It's nice and portable for you. (laughs) Very nice. So, so the takeaway here is that you thought that you were being so indulgent and being such a bad boy uh, for eating ice cream all these times. And it turns out that it is a key component. It is the parting thought of Niles Vanderpoel, the world record holder and double gold medalist in speed skating.
1: I'm enhancing my performance with ice cream. That's right.
0: As because did, it's simple and cheap. As did Niles Vanderpoel. Right on. No need to pour m- millions of euros into an expensive setup. All you need is ice cream. Uh, it's not about suffering, but about finding a way to endure hardships with ease. Right on. All right. Final thought, Eric. Ice cream. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We will be back next week with Corey Waltering. He will tell us what his big secret success is. We'll see whether he uses ice cream. His Instagram suggests more about tacos than ice cream. Um, and of course we will have Michelle back with us next week as well. Uh, Eric, thanks for being here, man. I love it. Thank you, George. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at PleasantPodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at ITLCoaching.com, on Twitter, at ITLCoaching, on Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Performance, and on Instagram, ITLCoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, BluePineappleTravel.com, Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel, and on Instagram, BluePineappleTravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's SlayRx.com, Facebook.com slash Here for SlayRx, that's the number 4 SlayRx, Twitter at Official SlayRx, and Instagram Here for SlayRx, the number 4 SlayRx. Discount code Pleasant22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.